As with so many of Jesus' parables, there are elements in the parable that we often don't pay attention to because we hear the parable so often we stop asking, why is that there? And such is the case with the robe or with the coat that the father puts on the son when the son returns to him. Why is that there? Well, it's there for a reason. It comes from Genesis 37. In Genesis 37, Joseph, now Joseph being not Joseph the husband of Mary, but Joseph the son of Jacob. Joseph has these dreams. And in the dreams, he dreams that um, basically he's the savior of his brothers. And his brothers represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And the brothers become jealous of this. But through the course of this, the father also puts his cloak, his, his, his coat, upon his son Jacob. Now we know this from even the fine arts, like uh, the musical, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, right? Well, it's a symbol, it's a symbolic action. The father is putting his coat not upon the older son, or even the older sons, but upon a younger son. He's showing favor. Favor meaning grace, a great gift that he's giving to his son. And the brothers get jealous of this, of course, and ultimately what this leads to is them selling him off into slavery, and he goes down to Egypt, but there, over the course of his life, he sets himself up as a second in command only to Pharaoh, and in charge of the grain, Israel goes into a famine and drought. They're in need. Israel sends his sons down to Egypt to get help, and there they encounter their brother who ultimately ends up being a Messiah figure, a savior. Jesus is hearkening back to this and telling this story. But he begins the story with the Pharisees and the scribes, the righteous ones, who are critical of Jesus who is dining with the sinners. And so Jesus says, let me tell you some parables. He doesn't just tell them the parable of the prodigal son. He proceeds that with another. So the prodigal son is lost and found. There's a coin that's lost and found. There's a sheep that's lost and found. All three of them go together. They're all part of Luke 15. They are a set. They're never to be separated. But that's the problem. We who don't know the scriptures have not only separated them, but we've lost the meaning of important symbols such as the coat. The coat, then, that the father in the parable of the prodigal son puts upon his son, the youngest son, is a symbolic gesture to show him favor, to show him grace, to show him a gift. A gift of forgiveness, yes, but a gift of being a part of his family, again, the father's family, and welcoming him to the father's house, which ultimately is a parable about the father's house, heaven itself. Now I say that we've separated this from the other two, and in doing that, we also get the prodigal son parable wrong. Or, at the very least, incomplete. Here's how. 
we look at the prodigal and we look at the father and we're like, wow, that's great. So a person can go off and commit all kinds of sins, but as long as they come back to the father and ask for forgiveness, then their sins are forgiven them and they're welcomed back into heaven. Or take that even further, right? Like, so that means that I can go off and do whatever I want for a period of my life, and let's say most of my life, but as long as I make my way back to religion and to church and to praying and, and following in the spiritual path, then that means that I too get heaven. So, why am I doing this now? I can do this much later in life. Have you ever found yourself doing that? Or do you see that in family members, like sons and daughters of yours or grandchildren of yours? This is part of where it comes from. Reading this parable, but reading in isolation and not understanding what Jesus is actually trying to teach here. Yes, he's teaching forgiveness. Thanks be to God, the Father is offering us forgiveness, but it's an incomplete picture. It's incomplete because we read it in isolation, separate from the other two parables, and the context in which Jesus is telling these parables. Luke records Jesus saying to the scribes and the Pharisees, the righteous ones. So he tells them this story in response to them complaining about the sinner and Jesus eating with the sinners. So let's go into those two, just briefly, just the formula itself. So all three are about something lost and something found. In the case of the shepherd, loses a sheep, finds it. In the case of the old woman, loses a coin, finds it. But the formula at the end is the same. And so Jesus says, just so, heaven itself will rejoice and all the more over one sinner who repents as opposed to the 99 righteous who have no need of repentance. No need of repentance. The key here is the word repentance. What does it mean? It doesn't mean what we think it means in its entirety in the parable of the prodigal son. That's why these three go together. That's why he tells them together. Repentance with a prodigal son in isolation means, well, you know, I can do whatever I want with my life or however I want, but as long as I express sorrow, I feel bad about what I've done, what I've said, what I haven't done, what I haven't said, as long as I feel guilt and I confess my sins, then the Father will take me back. That is not the prodigal son, and that is not what Jesus intends here. The key, the interpreted key, is the word repentance in relationship to the prodigal son. And the first two, he teaches about it, and the second and the third, he shows us what it looks like. So repentance is this. Repentance in the biblical worldview and in the Greek means to change one's mind. Not one's heart, because we can feel things like remorse or regret, we can ask for forgiveness and then go back and do it again and again and again and again and not change our lives. 
But in the biblical worldview, to change one's mind means to change one's life. Repentance means to change one's mind about a thing. In this case, sin. And that's why even Luke has the young man in the third parable, the parable of the prodigal son, saying he came to his senses. He changed his mind. And when we change our minds, then we change our lives. That's the interpretive key here. So let me say it in a different way. When we get older, are we more likely to become more set in our ways or less set in our ways? You all laugh, right? right? We know the answer to that. As we get older, we become more set in our ways, not less set in our ways. That's why the younger boy, who is not more set in his ways, is the one who is able to come to his senses. He's able to change his mind. He's able to change his life. He's able to repent and come back to the Father. Whereas the older boy which we'll get to in a second, is not able. That's why there's an older and younger here. Are you following that? That's important for us. Because for us, we can become the Pharisee. We can become the scribe. We can become the ones that as we get older in life, we become more set in our ways in regards to our opinions and our preferences, our likes and our dislikes, our social positions, our political positions, our understanding of sin and not understanding sin, our relationships with others, what we like and what we don't like, and the list goes on and on. We become more and more set in our ways. And therein lies the problem. The problem is, is that if we think, if we just stay with the prodigal son alone and separate it from the other two, then we might think with other people that, listen, I know I can go off and do whatever it is that I want as long as later on in life I ask for forgiveness, I say I'm sorry, and I come back. But the same problem goes with our loved ones, our children and our grandchildren, our brothers and our sisters, who if we make that error and they make that error, we leave them alone in that error. Oh, they'll come back to their senses at some point. They'll change their way. At some point they'll say, I'm sorry. At some point they'll repent. At some point they'll get religion and they'll come back in faith. But what Jesus is teaching when you take all three of these together as intended is like, no, there are two parts here. The, first, the second part is important. Forgiveness is a grace. It's a favor that God puts on us like a mantle. It is a gift. We can't get into the Father's house without the Father putting the cloak on us. Yes. But the son, the younger son, is able to do that because he first changes his mind, changes his life, and comes back to the Father. So our part is that we have to change, not just ask for forgiveness. We have to change our lives. Only after the son changes his life does the father put the coat upon his son. 
which leads us to the second son. There's a reason why the younger son, I've just explained, is called the younger son, and the older son is called the older son. Because he's the righteous one. He's the one who's always been with the Father. He says it. I've done everything you ordered me to do. Everything you expected me to do. I've done that. He was in it for the reward of the Father's house. The inheritance. Not out of need, not out of want, not out of desire, not out of love, not out of relationship, but what he was going to get in the end. He was the righteous one. And because of that, he was not able to change. He had become set in his ways. Even though the father went out to him and pleaded with him. This is a parable, the three, for all of us. Because all of us can find ourselves in this situation. Either, first of all, making the mistake, the assumption which I talked about in the beginning, seeing in something, something that is not there and was never intended to be there, but we put it there. In this case, an incomplete vision of what forgiveness is. It's all on God's part. And all we have to do is express the emotion, the feeling. No, that's the second part. God's gift of forgiveness is a gift. But what has to precede that is us repenting. What did Jesus say? And just so, like the lost sheep and the lost coin, and finding it, even more so, all of heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents, as opposed to the 99 who do not see the need for repentance. You and I can be that 99. The older who becomes set in our ways, set in our religion, come here every Sunday, do the things that we do, what's expected, what we learn from our parents and what we learn from our grandparents. And I'm not going to change. This is what my parents did. This is what my grandparents did. And this is what I've done all my life. All my life as a teenager, all my life in my 70s and 80s. Do not ask me to change. Is that not the righteous one who is unable, unwilling, and cannot appreciate and see the need for repentance? Changing one's mind. Changing one's life. And that son does not get the coat. The one who saw his need for God for the Father is the one who got the coat. The one who got into heaven. The righteous did not get in. The one who repented, who changed his mind and changed his life did. 